Whether you're looking for a convenient refresher course, or a way to earn your Pragmatic certification at your own speed, or the chance to take a Pragmatic course from your specific corner of the world, then Foundations On Demand is the solution you need. Get the same great content, tools, and templates our Foundations course is famous for in a flexible and easy-to-use online learning platform. Learn the skills you need to build and market products people want to buy. And earn your Pragmatic Institute certification anywhere, anytime. No more travel worries, no more time zone issues, just truly great training. Experience the new way of training with Foundations On Demand from Pragmatic Institute. Visit pragmaticinstitute.com foundations to learn more. And welcome to the Pragmatic Product Chat series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management, product marketing, and other market and data-driven professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I am Rebecca Calagiris, Vice President of Marketing and Product Strategy at Pragmatic Institute, and your host for this episode. And today we are joined by one of my very favorite guests, a peanut brittle maker extraordinaire, sad Ohio State fan, all-around pricing expert, Mr. Mark Stein. Welcome, Mark. Rebecca, thank you so much for the introduction. So I am a huge Ohio State fan, and I'm not overly sad because we didn't get embarrassed in the football game. I mean, if that makes you feel better, Mark, then <laughs> no, it's true, right? It was a good game. It was a close game. I good. would much rather have won. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. You are my very first podcast of 2023. And one of the things that I really, what I really wanted to talk to then about is what do you, as a pricing expert, think we'll see as pricing trends and predictions for the year. What do you think this year is going to bring us in terms of pricing? Oh, I thought you were going to ask a broad question. <laughs> <laughs> Keep you um, focused on these topics that you love so much. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So the first thing I want to point out is when I think of pricing, I actually think of almost all of business strategy. So I tend to think of packaging and messaging and, you know, how are we going to get data? And, and everything that I talk about revolves around how customers perceive the value of our products. Because even you as a marketing person must admit that if you understand how customers perceive value, it helps you capture new customers or grab customers' attention. And so to me... Even me as a marketer, even I. <laughs> even you. <laughs> I can admit that 100%. And, and so to me, pricing is much bigger than putting a price on something. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've got several thoughts on where pricing is related to things that we're going to see happening in 2023. But let me, let me pick off the easy one, because this is the one that's actually truly pricing related. Okay. And that is we see a lot of talk on usage-based pricing right now a lot more companies are gonna to move towards usage-based. Now this is targeted mostly at subscription type companies. Subscription companies are used to charging by the user or a flat rate. And that probably started because Salesforce was so successful with by user pricing. And they were one of the early companies to, to go with the cloud. So lots and lots of people have followed. And now what's happening is people are saying, yeah, but some users get way more value than other users maybe I could charge based on usage 
instead of based on the person, you know, whether they logged in or not, or whether they're sitting in a chair or have a license. I think this is a really interesting trend. And in a lot of ways, you could almost argue it's going away from subscription because if I'm charging you by usage, then I'm not charging you a subscription, right? Think of Uber. Uber is a usage-based pricing. And if you used Uber every day to get to work, to commute, it's like it's a subscription, but you still pay based on usage. Couple interesting interesting thoughts there, right? I mean, I, I think their usage is in their mind the cleanest connection to value, right? If you're using it, you're getting value and that and that's probably why they lean into that. Would you agree? Absolutely right. And then what's interesting though is when you talk about usage versus subscription, I mean, one of the things that we all know, PE firms, investors, companies really like is the predictability of subscription. Whereas if if usage, if you think about it as Uber, they can't predict how much Mark is going to be worth to them next year. I mean, they can, but but it's it's different than having a prediction is different than having sort of a, a guarantee. I know Mark will pay this per month. So I think from usage pricing, then there's advantages and disadvantages to both the users and the companies. And it'd be interesting in your thought kind of and the implications of that. Yeah, I, I've actually not thought of that one before. And I think that's really, really interesting. Let's talk about Uber for a second. Mm-hmm. Let's pretend that Uber had a contract with, I like to use IBM as my big company name, right? So I'm just going to say the word IBM. So Uber has a contract with IBM and all IBM employees could use Uber for whatever reason. And Uber could, at the end of the year, say, look, IBM does $10 million with us a year, right? And they do it year after year after year. And so you could treat that as a subscription from an investor perspective, Hmm. because this is pretty consistent. It's like a subscription. The only difference is I don't know exactly how much they're going to pay. The other thing that we often see is usage-based pricing being built into tiers of subscriptions. Hmm. So for example, LinkedIn, which is a subscription, when you sign up for their first level tier of let's call sales navigator, I think you get 15 in-mails a month or 30 in-mails a month. And then you can upgrade to the next level and you get 60 or 100 Mm in-mails a month. And so you could think of in-mails as usage. And by putting it in tiers, it's still in the subscription. Yeah, it saves the the, predictability of that. Yeah. Yeah, the other thing I love about putting it in tiers is when you charge for usage, you incentivize people to not use your product. Hmm. And so I like people using my product. Right, exactly. Yeah, that's how you're going to get the connections and they're going to see the value and they're going to keep doing it. Yep. Absolutely. Therefore, putting usage into tiers essentially says, use it all you want, just don't go over this limit. And it's really hard for people to use it right up to exactly to that limit. So they feel like it's free and then eventually they upgrade because they're getting more value. Right. Well, you see that that kind of tier a lot. You know, you go to a plan and they're like, do you want the free version or the premium version? And often there is a usage component of that. But I can see the the sort of combination of that because you're right. Like, I don't want a pricing program that makes people not use it. That would be the opposite of how I want people to think of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you think about it, everything. Okay. When you go buy a McDonald's hamburger, they charge you for usage, right? They charge you by the piece. <laughs> And so sometimes we do exactly that. You know, we have no choice. We just charge for the use. But you could subscribe to, you know, 20 McDonald's hamburgers a month. <laughs> right. Just have to go and check it. My uh, my daughter, when she was younger, would have really enjoyed a chicken nugget plan at, at 
McDonald's. So <laughs> I could see that subscription program working there. All right. So that is that it? That's the only is that the only trend and prediction you have? <laughs> but that is the one, as you said, pricing and, I, and you and I are very much in agreement here. Pricing is a whole lot more than the price tag you put at the end, right? Your strategy and how you do it and, and what you charge for and how you determine the value and whether you should be in the market, all of that comes down. So it is, I, I think you're right that usage-based pricing is very easy for people to make that connection to like, oh, that's a trend and prediction on pricing. But I think there's some other areas that are super interesting that I know you want to explore as well. Absolutely. So uh, the next one I want to talk about is let's talk about product-led growth. Hmm. I think uh, more and more companies are going to product-led growth. They're trying to figure out how to get to product-led growth. And the key to product-led growth is, can I create my product so that people use, try, value things, and then they choose to upgrade or not? The ultimate example of product-led growth, when, when we think about how this whole thing started, and that's freemium products, mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. people who would try Slack for free. And then eventually everybody in your company is using free Slack, and then you want it to coordinate it. And so now the company's buying Slack subscriptions. So this is product-led growth. And it's really, you know, in a lot of ways, it's about pricing. It's about, am I going to give it away for free? Or, or what features am I going to put in which packages so I can get people to try it? But it's a fascinating problem because people have to, companies are trading off sales expenses for product expenses, Mm. right? So can I design and develop my product so that people can learn about the value of upgrades easily and that minimizes the need for salespeople? Doesn't eliminate it, but it minimizes the need for salespeople. Well, I think it's interesting too, because so many people, when you think about product-led growth, do absolutely go to that freemium model first, right? Like, And it's a great model. We all understand it. But for a lot of B2B companies, like you already have an existing product. You're not going to necessarily go. But that same idea, that same structure of thinking about, particularly I think packaging of additional offerings and things like that, that same philosophy can work in a B2B when you're not basing it on a freemium. It's showing you past to kind of increase lifetime value of your customers that's really based on product usage and product growth and using the product to show other products, if that makes sense. That absolutely does. So imagine someone, we'll just stick in the B2B world for a second. Imagine you've got a customer who's using your, I'm going to talk good, better, best for a second. And you've got a customer who's using the good level of your product and you could create a version of your better package which may have a limited time trial. And you just say, hey, I want to give you this version of my better package. Go see if it adds value to you or not. Mm-hmm. Now, most companies, in all honesty, most companies, if you did that, they would say, no, thank you, because it's so freaking hard to learn how to use your next set of features, mm-hmm. right? It isn't this trivial, oh, that, that really worked easily for me. Imagine the first time you use Slack, it was super easy. And, and it add value instantly. But if we haven't crafted our products so that people can try it easily without tons of training and tons of work, and it just truly adds value for the next feature or the next level, uh, then people aren't going to upgrade without someone trying to convince them to do so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, and then I do think it is a business strategy, but I do think in many ways it's a pricing strategy as well. Absolutely, because it influences how we sell, how we convince customers of the value of our products uh, and how much we're going to be able to get for them. Um, The salespeople 
One of my favorite aha moments when I went out to study subscriptions is people, before they buy, have to use perceived value to figure out are they going to buy from you or not. But once they bought and used your, your subscription product, now they're using real value. Am I truly getting value from your product? And it makes it easier for me to say, am I going to churn out or stay or even upgrade? In product-led growth, what we're doing is we're helping people learn the real value of our upgrades instead of relying on perceived value of our upgrades. That's an excellent way of putting it. Right. And, and again, it made me think of so much we talk about is value based and what value are they getting? And I think that's exactly it, right? It's sort of taking the requirement to just perception or to guess or to imagine what the savings is and giving them a road and opportunity to see it. Yes. And I tend to think salespeople, almost by definition, salespeople are selling perceived value, not mm -hmm. real value. Mm -hmm. And product led growth sells real value, not perceived value. Excellent. All right. Usage-based pricing, product-led growth. What else? If you put your fortune teller hat on for the year, what else do you see, Mark? Okay. I've got two more for you. I'm going to save the best one for last. Ooh. You Ooh. hear that? Nobody can, nobody can stop listening now. They're like, dang it, Mark. <laughs> That's what we call a tease. Right? <laughs> so this, the third one I'll give you is I think that companies are finally going to realize, subscription companies in particular, that net dollar retention is possibly the single most important KPI they could be using. And net dollar retention essentially says, if I take all my customers from last year and how much revenue I got from that set of customers last year, how much money do I get from that exact same set of customers this year? Mm -hmm. And what you want is you want that number to be bigger. And so, so some customers churned out, so that was a negative. Some customers upgraded and bought more from you that was a positive. And that means your, if your positive is bigger than your negative, your net dollar return is over 100, essentially. So it's 105% or, or is how they tend to look at that. Now, what I love about this metric is that companies say the words over and over again, land and expand. Mm -hmm. We land and expand. Almost nobody does it. Right. Everybody was focuses on land. We got to go win new customers. Yep. Yep. But they don't focus on expand. As soon as you say net dollar retention is our most important KPI, suddenly we shift our mindset from how do I go win a new customer to how do I keep my current customers and how do I get my current customers to pay me more money next year than they paid me this year. And in truth, that's the best way to grow a subscription company. Not in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, you have to go win new customers. We all get it. But if you are an established subscription company with a bunch of customers, you should absolutely be focused on how do I expand? How do I grow my current customers and, and keep the ones that I've got? You know, it's interesting. And, and I think it'd be fun to explore a little bit about why we think companies, like, it seems very intuitive. You're like, well, of course. But I, I think you're right. Lots of people talk about land and expand, but in many ways, it's a different muscle requires different expertise and different offerings than the landing them in the first place, right? And and as you said, new companies are focused on that and that switch, that switch with your sales team, with your marketing team, with your finance team, with just how you like celebrate wins is so different. It's absolutely true. And and I think what happens is let's let's talk about the difference between urgency and importance for a second. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so what happens is I'm a brand new company, and so I need to go win new customers. This is an urgent problem, 
right? Let me go win new customers. And if I win customers and they churn out quickly, this is a big problem, right? So I've got winning customers and keeping customers as very urgent problems. Growing customers, totally irrelevant right now, right? right? I, I need to go win customers. I don't need to grow customers. And so if you think about what are you going to get fired for, you're going to get fired for not winning customers and you're going to get fired for having customers churn out because you sold to the wrong ones or you didn't deliver the right products or, or whatever the reason happens to be. Now, imagine the company's grown relatively large. They've got a whole bunch of customers. They still, you know, winning and keeping customers is a little less urgent. It's not as urgent as it was in the beginning, but it's still the urgent problem. And if you mm. think about growing customers, there's nobody there saying to you, go grow customers or you're going to lose your job, right? You're not growing customers the way you need to. And so what happens is I think this growing customers piece never, ever becomes urgent, but it becomes more and more important over time. Whereas winning and keeping customers become less urgent. They also become less important over time. But the, the grow part, which is the part that companies with a large established subscriber base, man, that's the place where they're going to make tons of money if they focus on growing. And I think that's perhaps why you see things like customer success teams and, and like the roles really being split, bifurcated. So you have different people responsible from land and grow and the different sets of metrics and places. But I think maybe it's one thing too, that with that expand, thinking about how the expansion team is compensated to make sure that it's focused on expand, not just service, if that makes sense, right? They really need to be looking at the goal of not just keep, but how do I get more from them? Yeah. And, and do you want, I, by the way, I don't know the answer to this question, but do you want your customer success people focusing on growing or focusing on your customers being successful, mm-hmm. right? I don't, I don't know that I want yeah. them selling my product, but I'd like them uh, handing it off to sales if we're not using a product-led growth strategy, uh, handing it off to sales so sales can go close those deals. And then the question becomes, how do you handle sales compensation for growing for growing yeah. customers? And again, if you combine this with product-led growth, then can the support team help you succeed, right? It's, it's a switch of, to your point, it's not a... It's a it's both a sales and a service model, but trying to make that that is a, a sophisticated conversation with the customers if you're really successful in that. Yes, absolutely. It's not trivial, but I think it's very valuable and more and more companies are going to move that direction because it makes yes. sense, right? It's obvious and and people aren't doing it. Yeah. I mean, I see how that's a business strategy and an important piece. Talk to me a little bit about why you think it's so connected to pricing. When I think about pricing, I think about how do we deliver and capture value to our customers. And so when we've got, well, l- let me take another step back. We talk a lot about will I and which one in the pragmatic price class. And if you think about it, if I'm selling more to my current customers, they're making will I decisions. Mm. Mm. They're not as price sensitive. I have the ability to capture more revenue from them. I can learn how much value they're truly oh, getting from my so product. That's so interesting because I think most people think they're my existing customers. I should probably give them a discount, right? Like the, you know, friends and family discount. Whereas you're saying if you do it right and you've got the right products, they're actually good for premium pricing because they're not going to get it necessarily somewhere else. Oh, absolutely right. If you've mm-hmm. got, you know, pick a software package, but you've got a software package and you want to buy an upgrade, odds are really good you can't go buy it from a competitor. You need to buy it from that vendor. Yeah. And so you're just making a will I decision. And what that means isn't that I'm gouging my customers, 
But what that means is instead of me as a salesperson going in and saying, hey, let me tell you how I'm better than my competitors, it's really having the conversation that says, let me tell you how much more money you're going to make when you use this new capability. And by the way, we only want a small percent of that. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Usage-based product pricing, product-led growth, net dollar retention, and then you've been saving the best for last. So don't let us down here, Mark. <laughs> like it's got to be good, right? Everyone's like, I don't know. That, the last few were pretty good, Mark. What you got now? <laughs> AI. Hmm. Certainly something you hear a lot about. First off, everybody and their brother has been <laughs> using chat GPT just yes. to play with it and see how well it works. And, and it's pretty phenomenal. Yes. Right. It is, it is fascinating. Now, that's not what I'm talking about, but we can see the capability really yes. clearly when we do that. So what's happening in the world of pricing and AI, I'm not a huge fan of. Can I say that? Oh, I think a yes. lot of companies talk about it. But the thing about ChatGPT is it went out and read the internet <laughs> so that it could learn a little bit about everything. And so it had this huge database that it could go access. In the world of AI for pricing, I think it has really limited focus. So it's only going to work well for companies mm -hmm. that have a lot of good transaction data. I've had a few people on my podcast that are building AI companies. And sometimes for some industries, it works really well. So imagine that you have, uh, you personally are going to VRBO your own house, right? Okay. Not your house, but you have another house and you want to VRBO it. And you one have of to my decide, mini homes, obviously. I have. One of your mini homes, yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> and you have to decide how to price it. So how is it that you're going to price your home? Well, it turns out that they could write algorithms to see uh, what the prices are of other rentals in the area, what mm -hmm. the demand is, how many are out there. And so they can write this intelligent algorithm to help you figure out what's the right price point for this house on this weekend or this week or what, okay. whatever it happens to be. And there's a ton of data, so it makes a lot of sense. Well, then you could use like live searches, who's looking for it now. So it could be, you know, <clears throat> a fluid pricing. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I think in a lot of cases, we don't have that information. In a lot of B2B worlds, mm -hmm. we don't have all this data that's going to help us predict how much a customer is willing to pay for a product. And the thing that I really don't like about AI, and, and it's not that I don't like it, it's that it doesn't do it yet. Okay. There's no data set on how do people value my product. Mm. So if you think about the VRBO example, there's data on usage and demand and availability. So you think of a supply and demand kind of discussion. But what I'd love to see is knowing that, oh, you know, this company wants to buy something from us. And here's the characteristics of that company, which implies here's how much they value our product, which says here's how much they'd likely pay. And by the way, these are the competitors they'd be looking at. And this is what the competitors are likely charging. And so it's not a trivial problem. But I think we're going to move more and more in that direction as we find more data sets or gather more data sets. Um, I've talked to a couple people who are thinking about building data sets on value, and I can't wait to see how this comes out. Super interesting too, because there, everything you've talked about is, is somewhat related, right? If I'm looking at usage, that gives me some data sets. If I think about my, my leading with my product and going into new things, I can see how they're using it. I can try to figure out how to make real-time pricing decision based on their behaviors, 
right? Both their intentional behaviors, what they think they're going to do and what we've seen them do, right? That's a really interesting. And, and I think if at some point, I'm sure they will, seeing how far it's come, right? We're going to get there. But if you think about when you talk about segmentation and pricing and how important that is, AI, if done right, really, really gets you that powerful place. And in a way, as you, as you said, we've not really seen done in B2B. We see it, you know, we all shop Amazon and you can do it and do it well. But right, how do I use that same kind of intelligence in a B2B spot? I think subscription companies will get there first, no question. They just have a different model. But it would be interesting to see what we can learn and leverage in non-subscription B2B offerings as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating from a lot of perspectives. And I don't think this is a trend, but I think this is a, a thought process that I've come to in the last couple of years. And that is pricing and packaging are essentially the same thing, mm. right? You can't, especially in the world of software, because it's so easy to move a feature from one package to another package. Yeah. Um, and, and so you really can't do pricing without doing packaging and you can't do packaging without doing pricing. So you certainly really should. are the same thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes people are very focused on one or the other of those and not thinking about that you're really moving two levers and thinking about how it moves together. Yep. Uh, absolutely right. Okay. We talked about lots of different things, good trends, good predictions. If everyone listening, if you want them to do either two things differently based on what we talked about or two things to help them prepare to handle the things we talked about, what would you say? Wow, that's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I like to stump you at the end. That's my goal. <laughs> um, so I think the one thing, the first thing I'll say that I think every company should be thinking about is create a product-led growth strategy. Hmm. You don't have to implement it. You don't have to go say, this is the way we're going to run our company. But I think if you step back to think about what would it look like if we use product-led growth in our company, you would probably build much better products and it would probably be much easier to sell them for the salespeople to sell them, even if you don't transition into uh, product-led growth. So I, I think just creating the strategy makes a really big deal. And then the other one I think would be the land and expand piece. And I say that because honestly, I've worked with hundreds of companies yep. and nobody focuses on expand. And this is the lowest hanging fruit you have anywhere in your, in your company. So if you can start thinking through how to expand it, and by the way, can I give a hint on how to do that? Is that okay? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> please do. There are only four ways that you can get a company or a customer to pay you more next year than they paid you this year. Okay. And those four ways are you could increase their price. You could upsell them to a new package. So from good to better or better to best. You could cross sell them with something else you offer for that market segment. Or if you're using usage-based pricing, the more they use it, the more they'll buy from you. And those are the only four ways to get more money next year. So which of those four ways can you go implement? And by the way, you and I talked about usage-based pricing already today. The good, better, best, and the cross-sell are both packaging questions. Yep. We talked about packaging. And the only one we didn't talk about is raising prices. Well, and which Mark will always be happy to talk about, just so everyone's clear. Uh, yeah. But <laughs> his, his answer will always be, you should charge more. But I, I think it's important too, when you talk about what can we do, when we're talking about expand and thinking about it is in the way you think of product like growth, it's a full strategy. Think about what you're going to do, how you're going to measure it, how you're going to reward it, how you're going to resource it, how you're going to report on it, right? Because 
I think what people get tripped up on when some of those are like, we care about expansion, but then like, okay, so what's the year over year revenue? Well, it's hard for us to tell. Like, da, da, da. like you really need to think it out and think it through because it is something that the whole organization really has to kind of be aware and, and support. That doesn't mean don't do it. It's not like scary, but just think about one pieces of it. What are you going to start with? How are you going to measure it? How are you going to resource it? How are you going to report it? Yep. And I think that to me, the biggest part of expand comes back to packaging, right? How are you going to package your products? And, mm-hmm. and that bundles in the usage piece. It bundles in the good, better, best packaging. It bundles in what you have as options or cross sells. So I think once you start thinking hard about packaging for upsell or packaging for expansion, it changes the way you think about your packaging. Absolutely. Awesome. All right, Mark, it is always great when you join us. I thank you for spending the time with us and sharing your expertise and your passion. Thank you so much. It is always fun to talk with you, Rebecca. Yes. All right. That does it for today's episode. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Mark's predictions and trends for 2023. Don't forget to join us next week when we tackle another great topic designed to help you elevate your product, your company, and your career. 